0: For the daily sports report today. So we're going I'm to. I'm Mike Lewandowski. You've been listening to 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We'll leave you with a good night and a go blue. You are listening to your home for Michigan athletics. 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Located from the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Huntwick has it. Forward to Tambolini, Tambolini, he'll shoot, save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six ends remain. Tambolini shoots and scores. It comes around and
1: You've just heard a portion of The Manson Family, an opera by John Moran. Uh, Good morning, it's The Beatles and The Raid on Spahn Ranch. And Right now, the sonata in G minor by Claude Debussy. My name is R-Wolf, and I'm filling in for Mike. When Mike asked me to cover for him this evening, I took the utterly stochastic approach and just put some things together, including some texts that I'd like to read to you. So, of anna Sophia Mutter and... Lambert Orcas, don't mind me talking over them. This is from James Joyce. It's very convenient that it appears to be a journal entry. 24 March. Began with a discussion with my mother. Subject, BVM, Blessed Virgin Mary handicapped by my sex and youth. To escape, held up relations between Jesus and Papa against those between Mary and her son. Said religion was not a lying-in hospital. Mother indulgent. Said I have a queer mind and have read too much. Not true. Have read little and understood less. Then she said, I would come back to faith because I had a restless mind. This means to leave church by back door of sin and re-enter through the skylight of repentance. Cannot repent. Told her so and asked for sixpence. Got three pence. Next, we have a very short passage from The Theater and Its Double by Antonin Artaud. Since uh, Mike's program, Pandora's Lunchbox, is a show about food and culture, I do promise there will be some speech having something to do with food, but I'm not sure that anything that Artaud ever wrote that had anything to do with food would be anything you'd want to hear over the radio. Uh, whether you were trying to eat or not. So I found this little uh, segment where Artaud was specifically talking about the concept of a show, since this is a radio show. He says, we must revive the concept of an integral show. The problem is to express it, spatially nourish and furnish it, like tap holes drilled into a flat wall of rock. Suddenly generating geysers and bouquets of stone. And finally, I thought I'd read to you from some of the writings of Carl Solomon. Now, if you're familiar with Allen Ginsberg's magnum opus, Howl, you know that the poem was dedicated to Carl Solomon. I was very happy when I was crawling around up in the grad library a while back and found this book of Carl Solomon's writings called Emergency Messages. Further afterthoughts of a shock patient. At our house we have Frankfurter's pederast, that's with an E at the end of pederast. Frankfurter's pederast consists of corn niblets, pimentos, and Frankfurter's sliced fine and fried. Of course, we brook no contradictions. We eat quietly, discussing the war when we feel impelled to do so. I think they'll win, says she. I ignore her remark and go on eating, knowing that if I dispute this point, the world will rush to her assistance. We've accepted the tragic. Meanwhile, at an automat table on 42nd Street, a hashishin finishes his coffee and stretches wearily, sighing, Life's a drag. Oh, you false apocalypse. It's been nearly 20 years since I first heard speak of you. 20 years ago, poets began speaking about you, and the teenagers swooned. It's the end. Live for the moment. Love, love, love. I know that what I say isn't popular because there are no orgies in it, nor seven scoop chocolate ice cream cones. But at the risk of bringing you down, allow me to state that I do not believe we are on the brink of apocalypse, or for 20 years to come. My long johns are in the dresser, awaiting another winter. There's still enough mouthwash in the bathroom cabinet. And next year's carrot harvest will be a good one. Sleep well, and I'll see you in the morning. draft of an unsent letter co-written by Carl Solomon and Allen Ginsberg in New York Psychiatric Institute, October 13, 1949. My dear Chevalier de Chazal, graciously aware of the poverty of the correspondence and above all of its tendentious nature between the mainland and your forlorn Indian domicile, A mere man among monsoons, as you undoubtedly hold yourself to be, we have taken advantage of the favorable winds, perhaps over abruptly, but as a last recourse, to ask for money. We are determined upon this course only upon considering the favorable rate of exchange. If, however, you have nothing but goldfish out there, we will accept these, as there is a shortage of exotic goldfish in this hospital. Perhaps we're too exacting. Therefore, perhaps we could justify our very inconsiderate demands on your person by inquiring if you are bald. Uncle Malcolm, we have come upon a stupendous discovery which promises to be the work of a theology student. It would be thoughtful of you to send us a short note of encouragement, a mere morsel as we're dying of hunger. We have dyed our hair purple to attract the attention of other theology students, but we've met with no encouragement in the eyes of those false-hearted ambassadors from Moscow who will not stop their endless accusations of chinoiserie. Since our natal light comes not from China, but from Mauritius, we feel that you are our last resort. Can you tell us how much you charge for a season? We can live in goldfish bowls and thereby bring in much revenue from admiring Japanese tourists. We have poignant types of children to the number of seven. No more need be said. Beyond a certain point, there can be no spoken communication, and all speech is useless. And this is signed Shirley Temple and Dagwood Bumpstead, who affixes his name under protest. Now we do have a second unsent letter, co-written by Carl Solomon and Allen Ginsberg in the New York Psychiatric Institute, This one is dated December 19th, 1949, and it's addressed to T.S. Eliot. Most distinguished number one poet of 1949. The year is fast running out. We wish to affirm, if we may use so banal a word, that the year is running out. Does this not frighten you? Uneasy wears the crown that wears the head, etc. Now we know all about cold spots on the moon and other items that probably preoccupy you at this, shall we say, turbulent moment, so close to Christmas as it is. We understand very well that your conversion was fraudulent. You carried it off very well. Now to get on to business we have here crowded into this very room forty five potential applicants young legislators to be from various walks of society together packed tight and we constitute as you must be aware a very formidable block what we want to say though it's very difficult to explain pointedly is that we want to represent ourselves as your maginot line although it is Getting late in the year. We'll make riots for you. We'll make bonfires. There you have it. 45 young legislators. Incidentally, to illustrate the proselytizing vigor of our legislators, one of those has just come in and announced to us that he's just converted one John Puccio Tinker to our cause. We're scurrying through the night, starting, there you have it, bonfires, all over in order to advance your candidacy under the theory, we know you will sympathize, that every vote counts. To illustrate the quality of self-criticism in our ranks, one of our younger members has just criticized your body. You have a big nose, but we tend to regard this this way, for you have to have a big nose For you to have a big nose is for us to have a big nose. The ace of spades, the tarot cards, the dying king, the rituals and everything. We all know that. So now to get on to business as we are legislators. To illustrate some more of the self-criticism, another young legislator of our ranks, the same one as before, it so happens, but he's very vociferous and his promised to a gray, dramatic critic on Broadway, America, has interjected, uneasy wears the crown that wears the head, etc. Kills the whole program. The fact is that some 85% of our young legislators are schemers, and you cannot count on them to be real firebrands. You know our position on that, personally, and you need not worry about us. I'm sure you will be gratified by us. We know exactly where you stand on the question of the existence of your great mind. We are prepared to publicly back up our charges, defying libel, lawsuits, the stupid comments of newspaper would-be literature editorialists, Certain literary dirigibles, we use the term figuratively, claim that you are a dictator. But these people have nothing to do with the main body of traditional literature. These people are stinkers. Has a stinker ever occupied a famous place in literature, English or French? I'm not speaking of Russians, as they've always been Bolsheviks, even before you became a dictator we send our regards and highest genuflections to Mrs. Literary Dictator and all the little literary dictators. This was decided on at the last meeting after much debate. Schwamp, who is earnest but a fool at heart, says that you want to keep them in the background, but we know that your family is really mongoloid. As an illustration of our total participation in your decades, we voted to mention them too. This shows how completely we are of your camp. We are waiting for marching orders. Some of our younger and less responsible young legislators-to-be want us to embark en masse to China, thinking to join you there on the theory that you'll soon contract a non-aggression pact with the Reds in order to play for time. They feel our arrival there would give you an extra card up your sleeve to bargain with. The time will come when you won't have anybody to depend on but us, and young as we are, we still are legislators who know our minds and have taken a blood oath to respect you no matter what happens. Anybody that reneges on the agreement, we will kill them. We do this with your tacit approval in order that you need not be implicated if we get caught by the American police, who are very brutal. But we vow not to involve you because we know all about abysses already. In war, there is no umpire. But nevertheless, do not attempt to use your powers of divination. As regards the powers of divination, Il s'agit de guerre moderne, Clausewitz, Rommel, etc. But you know all that. Now, to get back to speaking of you personally, if we may make so bold, there are no atheists in foxholes. This definitely settles the religious question. Some of our younger legislators are Jews, you don't know their names, but we've decided to treat them as if they were dopey daffodils, a special category of legislator which we have invented for your approval. They think they are all budding young Clemenceaus. Perhaps there's a place for them in France. The meeting is fast becoming a farce, indistinguishable from a pepper steak party, the like of which was given last week or two weeks ago at the very most by the young chevalier of Malcolm de Chazal, where they did nothing but eat. Therefore, much as we would like to go on chatting with you, exchanging literary gossip, news that would be of mutual interest, we will simply conclude by rephrasing a question that was made from the floor by one of your young devotees, who will not get up, whether you have epilepsy like Dostoevsky. If so, And Dostoevsky, we consider from the very first to have been a dead issue as far as this meeting is concerned, next month being set aside for our Dostoevsky Memorial, we want to know if you have not neglected it. We care for you and would be assured that you have taken all available steps to curtail this dreadful disease, which would turn you into a feeble-minded idiot, too, which would make our position rather embarrassing. Before saying farewell, we want to assure you that we know a good literary dictator when we see one, a smart fellow like you, a real hustler. In case you're wondering who's responsible for this transcription of the meeting, I may be permitted to speak of myself as a young poet who, though passing through a position of temporary and purely transitional sterility, as far as productivity presently counts, will soon be bigger than you. We take our leave by asking us to kiss you goodbye. Signed, your 44 favorite legislators, one dissenting vote, who are your brightest acolytes, the Israeli soccer team. I've just read to you the drafts of two unsent letters, co-written by Carl Solomon and Allen Ginsberg while they were lodged in the New York Psychiatric Institute in the closing months of 1949. And right now we're listening to music by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. This is the program which, when Mike is hosting it, probably makes marginally more sense from time to time. Pandora's Lunchbox. My name is R. Wolf Arf. At 7 o'clock, it's Face the Music, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Be realistic and demand the impossible. Thank you. The Sonata in E Minor by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. That's just the first movement. Played by Anna-Sophia Mutter and Lambert Orkus. Their Berlin Recital and Deutsche Grammophon Records. At 7 o'clock, this is Radio Free Ann Arbor. WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. we the voice of the underground intellectual resistance movement. Broadcasting from the campus of... University of Michigan. This is run by U of M students with lots of community involvement. We are the longest running community outreach, outreach, yes, outreach alternative educational experiment at this prestigious institute of higher learning. It's time now for Face the Music and once again, we've put together for you a program entirely composed of music that has something or other to do with the concept of heatness, hotness. Yes, heat and hot. Beginning with a recording made in 1926 by a pair of musicians, a trumpeter and a pianist, who were,